Amen. I, it's, it is an exciting day. It's a fun day to be around. I, I'm really fired up about what's happening going into the fall because it feels like in the fall, everything kind of kicks off and ramps up. Everybody gets back into their normal rhythms, and it's kind of a way to, to kind of turn the page. I've actually been praying for weeks that today would be a day that as a church, we could kind of turn the page on the last year and move into something new. And then there was this exciting CDC announcement this week that we're all supposed to wear masks again. And it was, it's like the world is working against me. Uh, but we're gonna go ahead and do it anyway. And we're gonna go ahead and step into the things that God has called us to and the things that we're excited about. And we'll figure it out on the road. But I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about what's next for our church and for our community. Uh, Angie has been amazingly guest worship leading for a few weeks for us over the past uh, couple months and has done such an amazing job, and, and I'm really excited to say today that, that Angie's not just a guest worship leader anymore, uh, that she is actually our new worship pastor, uh, and uh, she is going to be transitioning out of her role at Midtown, our Midtown campus downtown, over the next month, and then we'll be jumping back in with us uh, first of September full-time and be a part of our team, so I expect lots of invitations for dinner I expect love poured out on her from our community. Uh, she is so amazing and such a gifted, not just worship leader, but such a gifted spiritual leader, and we're so excited to have her and to have her leading this next phase of our church and of our ministry, and so give her tons of love today. I expect a long line after church, just like high fives and hugs and, and those kinds of things. Uh, I, I was thinking this week back uh, to my, uh, we, well, let me say this. My family was on the West Coast for the last week. We got in at midnight last night, and I woke up at six this morning, and six felt like three. Uh, so if I say anything really weird, it's just, it's just the time. It's just, I'm still on California time. I don't know what's going on in the world. But I, uh, I was thinking this week to when I was a kid. My, my parents, when I was in third grade, how old are you when you're in third grade? Like 10? Eight. Okay, I was eight, I was eight. My kids are older, I don't know anymore. Uh, when I was eight, my parents bought a two-acre plot of land uh, with a barn and like a big giant field and all of these different things. Now, we had always lived in the city and I'm a, I'm a city boy, I don't, I, I just knew that this was, a, it felt like a lot of land and there was a lot of grass to cut and leaves to rake and all of those kinds of things. And my dad was, I think my dad was concerned about me as a man very early on. I think he was worried that I was gonna be one of those kids that just played video games his entire life. And so he was always just sending me out in the yard like, rake leaves for nine hours, son. Like those kinds of things was kind of what he did. And uh, my dad met a guy who was a friend of his and the guy said, hey, I've got this pony and I need to store it somewhere. Uh, and I need it to stay in your barn, and here's what we'll do. We'll pay you to feed it and take care of it, and you can have a pony, and your kids can enjoy it, and all those things. And I was like eight, right? So I eight, it's, it's the third, third grade. I, I was like eight years old, and I was like, this is the greatest. I've got a pony in my backyard, and so they brought this pony to our house. It had a name, but they were like, you guys get to name it. And my sister and I were the least creative children in the history of the world. Uh, we had a dog at that time named Reddy, and we named the horse Red. <laughs> we just went with colors. Uh, I don't know why. My parents didn't stretch us to be a little more innovative or creative, uh, I, I, but that's what we did. So the horse's name was Red. The horse got there, the little pony, and, and we didn't realize the pony was a thousand years old. <laughs> like, it was the oldest pony that had ever lived. It could barely walk. Right? It, it, it kind of just lumbered into the barn, and, and, uh, and, and that first day we got to ride it because there was this guy there, and it didn't really go anywhere. You just sat on it, and it would occasionally go a few steps, and it was the greatest thing in the world. If you're eight, right, it doesn't matter. There's a pony and it's mine. So we're like hugging the pony. There's pictures of us like laying on top of it. Like I'm, we're doing I, like any, I'm, I've got like cowboy and Indian guns on me, on the pony going three steps at a time. Like it's the, it's the worst pony ever, but it's my pony, right? And so my dad created this rule, and here's the rule that my dad said. My dad said, you cannot ride this pony until you learn to take care of it. 
And I was eight, and I was like, Dad, I can do it. Whatever you need me to do, I can do it. He's like, you need to feed and water it every day. I was like, I'm in, Dad. I'm 100%. This, I'm, I will take care of this pony. Uh, this pony is going to be the most cared for. You have to brush it occasionally. I was like, I will brush it every day, right? I was ready. I was ready because I wanted to ride red, the nearly dead pony, all the time. And so what my dad did was he set out these buckets, and the buckets that I had were a little larger than this. This is probably about this, this high. And, and they set them down by the hose right next to the house. And what I had to do every day is carry two buckets of water up to the barn and dump it in the pony's bowl so that the pony could have water and I needed to feed it hay. Now, when you're eight years old, two buckets of water this big, I, I was also eight years old and, and I weighed like 12 pounds. I was just one of those really skinny kids and I had no strength, which is I think why my dad wanted me to carry the water. And so I would fill these water bowls up and I, it took like, I don't know if you've ever carried something and you have to like use your leg to get it going. So I would do that and then the water would spill all over me and I was in Ohio and in the winter you don't want water all over you in the winter in Ohio and so I'm like dragging this thing up there and it was this big giant chore every single day, but I knew that there was a reward if I would pick up the bucket every day and carry it out to this pony. And so uh, after about a month of taking care of the pony, um, it was groomed well. It got like, I would, I would spill about half the water by the time I got it up to the barn, but it got enough water to survive. I don't think, at that point, it was really close to death. I don't think it actually drank much water at all. It didn't require any nourishment. It was just a stick of glue at that point, right? But I, like, I, I just carried it up there, and, sorry, I just carried it up there, and, and, and fed the, and fed the horse, and because I knew that eventually something was going to pay off, and, and, and I, I don't know, I was thinking about this this week because I was looking in Luke, or John chapter two, and I was thinking about this concept of sometimes we have to do some work before we get the breakthrough. And there's times when, like, there's a payoff at the end, but there is work required to get there. And I feel like my dad was trying to teach me as a young man that lesson. I feel like he was trying to teach me the lesson that sometimes you have to work for things that are good, that sometimes things don't just come easy, that sometimes things don't just happen because we want them to happen, that sometimes we have to set the table for important things to happen. And so in John chapter two, it's a familiar passage, and, and if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you've heard this passage preached before. Jesus is at a, a, a wedding, He's gathered with his family at a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and it's before his ministry has actually launched, but he's gathered here at this wedding. This was actually the passage that was preached at Sarah and I's wedding. So the pastor that did our wedding, I, we were actually listening, uh, actually preached this passage uh, in our wedding. So it's a very important passage for us. And, and when we think about it, I always think about Jim Lyon, the pastor that did our ceremony, preaching this message and sharing wisdom from this passage. And here's what it says, John chapter two. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus seems feisty sometimes. Uh, his, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. This was the first piece of advice the pastor gave us at our wedding. <laughs> do whatever he tells you. And not me, what Jesus tells you, right? Do whatever Jesus, I, it, the other way would have worked better for me because that hasn't played out that way. But, but do whatever he tells you. Verse six, it says, now there was six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. I don't think this is a 20 or 30 gallon bucket at all. Uh, but those are some big buckets of water. And here's what he said. He said, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. Those are big jars of water. Fill them all the way up to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw some water and take it to the master of feasts. So they took it with them. And when the master of feasts tasted the water, it now became wine. And they did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then they bring out the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. 
This was the first sign that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and it manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Here's an interesting thing. The very first sign of Jesus' presence, the very first miracle that he performed, the very first moment when he kind of revealed there is something different about Jesus than everyone else in the world, it all happened because there were some people who were willing to pick up the jars, who were willing to pick up the water, who were willing to fill it to the brim, who were willing to listen to what Jesus had asked them to do and to do the work. Because sometimes Jesus wants us to participate in our own transformation. Because in our culture, we want everything microwaved. We want everything right now. We want everything fast and easy and downloadable. And we want it instantly. We live in an instant culture. And Jesus keeps saying, no, I think that sometimes I'm not going to give you what you want right now because I want you to be a part of your own transformation. I want you to fill the jars. I want you to draw out some water. I want you to deliver it to the master. And so we've been praying about the future of Grace Marietta. We're coming out of a really difficult season. We've been praying about what's next and what's gonna happen in the fall. And the question that I wanna ask for all of us today is what are we going to do to set the table for the miracle that God is going to perform through us and in us over the next year? Because I absolutely believe that God has enormous plans for this church community. Sarah and I came here because this place is pregnant with possibility. That there is so much possibility of what the Holy Spirit can do and how the Holy Spirit can lead us and how we can transform this community. We're already seeing the first fruits of how God can transform us and change us and do great works through us and in us. We're seeing uh, dreams awakened. We're seeing new neighbors coming and joining us at the park. We're seeing a community that's being transformed. We're seeing salvation. We're seeing freedom. We're seeing breakthrough in so many different areas. But all of that is just the first fruits to what Jesus is about to do through us in the coming years, guys. And this year has hijacked some of our joy. I'll be honest, it's hijacked some of mine. This year has incapacitated us in certain ways. This year has changed us in a lot of different ways. It's been a tough year for the church in general. Numbers are starting to come out right now of what COVID did to the American church, and it's staggering. 33% of people have stopped attending church. That's a third of church membership has just gone away over the last year. And, and statistics are saying it's probably not coming back. When 33% of attendance goes, that means 33% of funding goes. So a third of the budgets of every church in America, or most churches in America, are gone. So that means churches are working on less budgets with less people trying to figure out how do we do more with less over and over again. This is the number that's the most staggering. 15% of pastors left the ministry in the last year. 15% of pastors, the numbers are coming out and are saying that 15% of pastors in the ministry said that's enough. I can't take the abuse anymore, I can't take the emails anymore, I can't take the phone calls anymore, I can't take everybody being angry with me, I don't know how to lead in this place, it's much better for me to go work at Arby's or anywhere. And so we've lost all of these things. And, 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 and the, the, the thing that I keep hearing from pastors and from leaders and people alike is I just wanna go back to 2019. I'm just waiting for things to get back to normal. Have you heard that? I hear that from so many different pastors. We're just waiting for things to get back to normal. We're waiting for the world to return. And I wanna suggest that maybe this is the new normal. That maybe we're not going back to where we were a year ago. Maybe things aren't going to be just restored and figured out and everything's gonna be fit back together. Maybe we're working in new principles and maybe we need to look forward and go rather than wait for things to return. And so today, I wanna to kinda of turn the page on the year that we've gone through and say this is the work that we wanna do in the coming year, and this is what we're inviting you as the church to step into. Because we wanna ask for a miracle in the coming year. Are you with me? I got, guys, I wanna see salvation come to this community. 
I want people parading to our baptistry who don't know Jesus, who have been saved radically. I want freedom. I want marriages restored. I want breakthrough in homes. I I, I want fathers' hearts returning to their sons and daughters. I I, want to see sin that is just like the chains of sin is broken. I want to see miracles. I want to see healings. I want to see all of these things happen in our community. I want to see breakthrough in so many different areas. But the question that we have to ask is, what's the work that we're going to do to prepare for the miracle that's ahead of us. And so the first thing I wanna encourage everybody in is that we we need to track engagement because engagement is greater than attendance. I think this is more important than ever for the church in America right now. We need engaged people more than we need butts in the seat. We need people who are engaged in the life and in the ministry of the church every single day, not people who are showing up on Sunday to hear a sermon and to sing some songs, but people who are engaged in the lifeblood of the church. And it's been difficult to be engaged in the lifeblood of the church when everything's been shut down over the last year, right? It's been difficult to figure out where do I serve, where do I jump in, where do I engage, how do I do all of those different things. And so I wanna walk through kind of the stages of church connection. So, so the first stage of church connection is that you're curious. It's this, you're checking it out. You're here wondering, is this the right place? Is this the church that I'm supposed to be a part of? You're, you're kind of visiting and, and wondering, hey, is this the place? And you just kind of show up curious. Do, do these folks believe the same things as me? Do I uh, buy into the vision here? Does this feel like home to me? Does this feel like the place where I wanna raise my family and raise my kids? Does this feel like the place where I want to be? And so you show up just curious. The second stage is consumer. You're kind of waiting to be served and waiting to have your needs met and kind of saying, does this church check the boxes of what I want in a church? Do they have this program for my kids? Do they do this? Do they have a knitting club? Do they have like whatever it is that you need and want and are excited about? We check the boxes of those kinds of things. The third is that you're connecting you're wanting to get more connected. You're, 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 you're meeting new people. You're starting to have meals with people in the church. You're starting to have lunch with people. You're figuring out how to connect and how to um, meet other people and, and saying like, this is starting to feel like a family. This is starting to feel like a place that I could connect and be a part of. And the last place, and this is where we're asking everybody in our church to be a part of, especially if you've been here for a long time, is to be a contributor. You're not here to be served, you're here to serve. We've said this often, but if you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, you are no longer a guest, you are a host when you show up on Sunday mornings, right? That you are here to love and to serve everybody else, to pour yourself out for the good of your community. You're engaged, you're not waiting, you're giving. This is our vision, but this is also the biblical vision of what it looks like to be a part of a church community because a consumer says, I'm here to be served, but a contributor says, I'm here to serve, A consumer says, I'm focused on my preferences, but a contributor says, I'm focused on the needs of others. A consumer asks, what can I gain, while a contributor asks, what can I give? A consumer is entitled, while a contributor is grateful. A consumer has trouble finding a church family because none of them check all the boxes of what they need, while a contributor joins a church family and invites others to join them. Now, here's the problem with that in the last year. The problem with that in the last year is I believe we've lost the power of we over me. Well, here's what's happened in our culture. In the last year, for the first time in my lifetime, we went into a self-protection mode like we never have before. Are you with me? There was a scary moment for us. And whether history will write this one way or the other, We were all frightened in some way or another of what was going on over the last year. And in that fear, we went into self-protection mode. We closed off our homes, we put on our masks, we stayed at home, we kind of started looking out for our own. And here's my fear. My fear is that we don't know how to escape from that now. My fear is that we've gone to self-protection and we don't know how to escape from that now because we're still living in this self-protective mode rather than living in a poured out mode. And so we're staying in this place of scarcity and we're stuck in that place. I'll, I'll just be really frank. I have received more 
negative criticism, more unfair emails, more unfair characterizations of the church in the last year than I have in the previous 20 years combined of my ministry. That's not an exaggeration. That's not hyperbole. That's the absolute truth. We've moved into a place where our opinions, our beliefs, our desires, our wants, our stuff is more important than the collective body of each other, and that is not the biblical way to live, guys. It's just not. We've moved to a place where my opinions are more important than others' opinions, where my needs are more important than others' needs, my desires are more important than others, my wants are more important than others'. And what COVID taught us is to double down on our opinions, to make enemies of those who disagree with us, to fight for our individual and personal rights, when what scripture teaches us is that the church is a people and not a building, that self is never greater than serving others, that leisure and rest is never greater than church commitment, that consuming is never greater than giving, that winning is never greater than listening, that being right is never greater than being kind. Because here's the reality, guys. If we live in a society where everyone looks out for themselves and looks out for number one, everyone loses. Everyone loses because we lose the opportunity to give to others, which we're actually created for. We were created so that we would give ourselves away. I love there's a passage in Isaiah that says we were created to spend ourselves. Paul says it this way, I'm always being given over to death so that I might live. That we were created to die to ourselves so that others might live. We were created to lay down our opinions, to lay down our preferences, to lay down our desires, to lay down our wants, to lay down our needs for the good of the collective body. And so when we don't do that, we miss out on the power and the goodness of giving. It's cheesy, but it is better to give than receive. And there's something beautiful that happens when we give and when we serve and when we bless and when we lay down ourselves for others. But the other thing we miss out on is we miss out on receiving from others. Guys, there is so much collective wisdom and goodness in this room right now. Like we could bring up 40 different people from this room who could preach an incredible sermon this morning. Because there is so much goodness and wisdom. There are people in here with so much spiritual gifts. There is so much that all of us can receive from one another and grow. Like when I look around the room, I know some of you so well, and there's so much that I've learned from being in relationship with you. There's so much, the ways in which I've grown because I've sat at your table. There's so many ways in which I've learned from you because I've watched you lead and serve and care for the church. There's something that we miss out when we don't pour ourselves out. We lose so much. Philippians 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, count others better than yourself. Listen to this, verse four. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Can I get an amen? Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death even on a cross. Like this is the model, guys. Jesus is the model of humanity. And if we ask, what did Jesus do? He poured himself out for, for everyone else. He laid himself down for everyone else. He didn't go into self-protective mode. He didn't go into a scarcity mentality. He believed that when he gave himself away, greater things happened. He did that in his relationships with his disciples. He said to his disciples, you're gonna do greater things than I did. Because I've poured myself out into you, I believe greater things are gonna happen through you. That's why we invest so much in the next generation. That's why Allie starts crying when she's praying about the next generation is because we believe that when we pour ourselves out for the next generation, they're gonna do more than what we did. Like the evidence of our faithfulness will be the lives of our children. And I want their lives to be greater than ours. 
I want, them, I want my kids to preach better sermons than I preach. I want my kids to stand on the, on the platform and the foundation that I've built, but I want them to grow higher and do more and experience more, experience more of the power of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the, the authority of God, the miracles of God. I want all of that poured out in our students over and over and over and over again. Jesus said, when you lay yourselves down, something happens. When we lay down our preferences for others, when we lay down our wants and our desires for the sake of others, something happens. Can I just say this? When we lay down our political affiliations for kingdom affiliations, something beautiful happens. Because here, I just wanna be honest with you guys in here. Our political talking points over the last year have become more significant than the word of God. And there are many of us who are more discipled by CNN or Fox News than we are by the Bible. And we've gotta lay it down. And I can tell you right now, if you are looking for a church that will agree with your political party, left or right, we are the wrong church. We believe both political parties are off base. We believe both political parties are not the hope of the future. We believe both political parties are not the hope of the world. We believe that Jesus is. So my hope is not in Republican or Democrat. My hope is in Jesus. And, and, and so two issues have come up strong in the last year. The first has been the issue of masks, and the second has been the issue of racism. And those have come up in really strong ways. And, 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 and listen, I, the new news came out here from the CDC this week. I don't know what the next few weeks are gonna look like with masks. I know that two of our Grace Churches are required to have people wear masks in their services now because they're in downtown Atlanta and downtown D.C. where the, the city has mandated that every gathering in those communities has to wear masks. I don't know what's wise. I don't know what we're going to do. I've not experienced a pandemic. I don't wanna wear a mask, guys. But could you just show us grace whatever we decide? We are, I'm, I'm just telling you right now, we're doing the very best we can. We're doing the very best we can to protect everybody who's vulnerable. My wife included, my wife has MS. So she's especially susceptible to certain things and, and I wanna protect her and I wanna take care of her. Some of the elderly among us, we wanna take care of them, we wanna protect them. We wanna do all of those things, but we don't wanna limit our gatherings. We don't wanna limit who can be here. I want every single one of you in this room worshiping and celebrating with us. And I, don't love, I didn't love when we had masks on, but here's the thing with the mask issue. We had a bunch of people leave the church around masks in the last year. About half of them were mad because we were too strict about masks, and about half of them were mad because we weren't strict enough about masks. Like, that's the honest truth. Like, I've been called a, a, a liberal and a conservative more this year than I ever have in my entire life. And, and I'll just be honest, I don't associate with either of those labels. Call me a Christian, I'm happy to deal with that issue, right? But like, everybody meets, and, and, and I, he, the, the challenge for us is we're just doing the best we can. The, the, the second challenge that we faced over the last year is, is racism. And we've talked a lot about racism in, in our community, and we're gonna continue to do that, and there's three reasons why we do that. Uh, the first reason that we talk about race is because there is a part of our body who is asking us to listen. Jeremiah chapter six, verses 13 and 14 says this, for the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From the prophet to the priest, everyone deals falsely, and they have healed the wounds of my people lightly, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. There is a part of our body that is hurting and is saying, I need you to listen to me. I need you to understand the experiences that I've walked through. I need you to pay attention and have empathy for the life that I live. First Corinthians says, when one part of the body suffers, who suffers? All of us. When one part of the body celebrates, we all celebrate. And so when one part of our body is hurting, we cannot say peace, peace when there is no peace and deal with those wounds lightly. We have to be people who listen and are attentive and pay attention to the wounds of our brothers and sisters of color. If we don't, we're missing the mark. And I'm gonna be honest, we're gonna end up on the wrong side of history if we don't do that. The second reason we do that is because racism is everywhere in the Bible and the Bible talks about race over and over and over again. We have never shrunk back from any topic in scripture. 
We teach the Bible. We walk through passages. Like this is one of the rare occasions where we're not actually teaching through a book of the Bible. And when we get to a passage, we deal with what that passage says and we deal with it honestly. And if that passage talks about race, we're going to talk about race. If that passage talks about whatever it is that it's gonna talk about, we're going to talk about that thing. And so because it's in the Bible, we're going to talk about it and we're gonna discuss it. And the third thing is because it's a challenge of our faith. This is what our faith teaches us. It teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us. That all of us have weaknesses and areas of our life where we need to grow. So here's the way I look at my life. I look at my life believing that in every area of my life, I have room to grow. Can I get an amen? Right? In every area of my life, I have not arrived, and I'm not perfect, and I've not figured everything out, and I don't know exactly how to live, and I don't know exactly how everything works out. I'm a sinner, and I fall short of the glory of God. And so in every area of my life, I'm humble enough to say I might have room to grow there. That includes race and racism. There is an attack in our culture right now against anti-racism. And that attack should be serious for all of us who are followers of Christ because all of us should be willing to look at our own lives and say, maybe there's still room for me to grow in this area. Maybe God still has something to teach me here. Maybe there's still sin in me that I need to be healed of and need to grow in. And so we take, serious, we take that serious and we look at our lives and we pay attention and we say, all right, Lord, like I'm not being shaped by culture. We're not allowing culture to define any of these things. We're looking at the word of God. We're looking at the presence of God and we're saying, Lord, is there any hint? Right? Search my heart and know me, Lord. Is there any hint of race or racism in me? Is there any hint of race or racism in our structures? Is there any hint of race or racism in our foundations? Is there any hint of any of these things? And if they are, Lord, would you teach us to repent and to follow you and believe? This is how we treat every area of our lives, guys. Not just race. Every area of our lives. This is how we treat sexual sin exactly the same way. Is there any hint of immorality in my life? Is there anything in which I can grow? Is there any ways in which the way that I live out my sexual orientation, my sexual beliefs, all of these kinds of things, is there any ways that I do that that is contrary to what you say and what you teach and what you believe? And if there is, teach me to repent and teach me to follow you. We take all of those things serious. We, tr we drive everything through the lens of what is God saying and what are we going to do about it? All right, I'm, I'm preaching for too long on, on this one. I get excited about this one. That one's, I, can I just be honest to you too? Like, I have a mixed race family. And I've watched the life that my daughter has lived in this country. And I can tell you there are challenges that she faces that are different than challenges my boys face. And so for me, as a father of a black daughter, this means something to me. I'm not just repeating something that I hear on the news. I don't even watch the news. I'm not talking about some kind of race theory or something like that. I don't even know anything about that. I'm talking about what the Bible says. I'm talking about what Jesus says. And I'm asking you to look at the life of my daughter and say, don't say peace, peace when there is no peace. Don't deal with her wounds lightly. I wanna give her a better world than we have now. And if that means people are gonna leave the church and be angry with me, then that's okay. I'm gonna to continue to teach the word of God. Here's the one thing I'm more fired up about than ever. I'm gonna faithfully do what Jesus has asked me to do and I don't care how many people are sitting in front of me every week. So if there's three people next week because y'all left because you're angry about this, we're gonna keep teaching the Bible. And we're gonna keep teaching the words that God says and we're gonna keep following through with all this stuff. Okay, sorry, I just went on a really side rant there for a little while. Am I engaging or am I attending? Here's a little way to, to ask yourself that question. One is do I enter into conversations believing I have something to learn from the people around me? Like are we actually open to learning or are we so set in our opinions and our beliefs that we're just... We cannot learn from each other. Here's what, I, here's what I've really understood over the last year. When I disagree with people, when I sit down with them at a table or on a phone call or in person and have a conversation, I realize the divide that I thought was there is not nearly as large as I thought it was. 
Our world wants to divide us right now. Our news channels want to divide us right now. Our politicians want to divide us right now. Jesus wants to unite us. Number two, are you inviting people to join us? Are you serving on the weekends? Are you involved in a launch group? Are you giving? Are you encouraging others? Are you building up others? Are you giving specific encouragement? Remember we talked about that a few months ago. Specific encouragement has so much more power because our criticism is always specific and our encouragement is oftentimes vague. What if we gave specific encouragement to one another? I've been trying to do that with my kids over and over again. Are we being shaped by this community? Are we inviting others to meals and to tables? Are we learning people's names? Are we intentionally interacting with others? Are we praying for the church and for its leaders and for breakthrough? Because I believe all of those things of engagement, that's the work of carrying the bucket. It's the hard work. Like, here's what we want. We want to show up at a church and we want to belong, to connect, to learn, to grow, to be invested in, to be cared for, all of those things without sacrificing anything. That's not the biblical model of the church, guys. The biblical model of the church is actually everybody gathers and everybody brings something to the table. They bring their gifts to be used. That's why we've got worship leaders who bring their gifts to be, to be used for us every week and people that can sing and can play. Like, it's amazing to me, the talent that shows up all the time. And I'm like, wow, that's like, this is amazing. These, they're using their gifts. Other people, just hospitality, they just stand at the doors and greet. But we're just in this place where we're over and over again, we're using our gifts and leveraging for the sake of our community. Um, that's the work of carrying the bucket. And, and, and here's the reality for us. We believe that connecting happens through going. And so we connect for the sake of going. So connecting always is what happens when we go. And so oftentimes this is what we believe, that connection happens when I get around a bunch of people who all agree with me, all dress like me, all are around the same age as me, all believe the same things as me, and they all like the same music and like the same TV shows and like the same sports teams and all of those different things. And so we're trying to find a group of people that is exactly like you, and you're wondering why you're having a hard time finding anybody to interact with. It's because there is no one like you. You were created, you're God's masterpiece. You were created uniquely by him and for him to do the good works that he's prepared for you in advance. And so there's not somebody just like you. And so we're all searching for someone like you when what we should be searching for is who, who's available? Who's around? Who are people that want to be with me? Who are people that like me? Who are people that I, that I, I sit with them and they, they, they bring joy to my life? Do you have those people in your life? Like there's certain people that you just, you eat a meal with them and you just feel like there was some joy in that. Like it was good. Like my soul feels better because I was with them. It's almost like they gave me a piece of their joy or they gave me a piece of their excitement or they gave me a piece of their generosity or their kindness. There's this gravitas when you're with certain people that when you're with them, you feel like you get something because you're with them. That's community. And it's not based on us liking the same things. It's based on us being the same kinds of people and having the same uh, uh, beliefs and stepping out and saying, we're gonna go and we're gonna step out. And so I believe that community happens far more when we go into the world and when we serve and when we need each other than it happens when we just eat meals together. Community happens more when we serve than it does when we study the Bible together. Community happens more outside of these walls than it happens inside of these walls. It happens out there. And so we wanna be a church that doesn't just exist for itself, but exists for the community around us. Guys, I, I, I want this community to know that Grace Marietta is for them. I want this community to know that Grace Marietta is pouring ourselves out for them. But we cannot do that with five staff members. We need a community that is leveraging what you have for the sake of others, who's laying down what we have for the sake of this community. Uh, and, and, and so we, the model for us is, is that we wanna be a church that awakens each other to live the kingdom dreams uh, in a world that's fast asleep. So really simply, we believe that what the world needs most is the church to be fully alive. We believe that what the world needs most is the people of God trained and equipped to be missionaries in their workplace, in their communities, with their neighbors, 
all throughout the world and around us. We don't believe what the world needs most is a church that's full on Sundays. I actually believe this. I believe we could do 12 services in here every Sunday. We could fill this room from 7 a.m. on Sunday morning till 9 p.m. on Sunday night and have very little impact in our community because we're just gathering Christians to talk about Christian things. And I think what the world needs now is Christians who will step into the world and Christians who will lay down their lives for others. And so that's our vision. We wanna activate you outside the walls of the church. We wanna walk beside you. We wanna gather you in groups of people and in communities that will go and, 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 and make a difference. We believe that community happens when we go. So a lot of times somebody, will, I don't know if you've, how many of you have ever stopped by the church on an afternoon and nobody has been here? I'm sure a few of you have. You, you can raise your hand. It's okay. You raise your hands. Yeah. There's a lot of people that will show up and it'll be like Thursday afternoon, two o'clock. Why is no one in the office? I'll tell you why. It's because we're in the world. Why is no one sitting there at a desk waiting for the church people to show up? It's because we're meeting with people. For me personally, I'm meeting with entrepreneurs and dreamers every week over and over and over again. And I'm saying the dream that you have in your heart is beautiful, but what if you started to see it through the lens of how Jesus would build that dream? What if the, the dream that's in your heart was awakened and what if you started loving and serving because man, can you imagine what would happen if we unleashed a thousand businesses into our community that were led by godly men and women who, who, who treated their employees fairly, who paid them a fair wage, who loved them and cared for them, who shared the grace and mercy of God every single week. Can you imagine the impact our community would have on Cobb County if we unleashed all those businesses? So I'm meeting with dreamers, I'm meeting with entrepreneurs. I coach youth basketball all the time. I'm always on the basketball court with a bunch of kids and none of them go to our church. And none of them may ever come to our church. A couple of them have a few times, right? But I'm pouring myself out because I believe in the next generation because I love basketball and because I wanna serve these young men. Like there's a generation of fatherless young men out there who need somebody to stand with them and stand by them. And so we're outside the walls and we wanna invite you to do the same. So, so here's a little bit of, of a way that we're, we're, we're imagining connection. So if you're new to our community, here, here, here's the connection pathway to become a part of what we're doing in Grace Marietta and to become a contributor. The first is this idea of welcome to grace. Welcome to grace is gonna start next week. And it's a, it's a three-week gathering in homes. And so for three weeks, if you're new to Grace and don't know anybody, or you're kind of new and want to connect, or you're new and know like three people and want to connect deeper and want to get to know people, we want to invite you to a group that's going to gather for three weeks in a row. We're going to eat meals in people's homes. We're going to hang out. We're going to have fun. One of those is going to be in my house. I cannot promise you the quality of the meals in the other places, but I can assure you the meal at my house is going to be delicious. I cannot promise you the quality of the conversation in other places but my wife is delightful. You will love to be in my home, right? We're gonna hang out in my house and we're gonna get together and then they're gonna go to some other places uh, and that's August 8th, 15th, and 22nd. And so if you wanna be a part of that, go right out to the Welcome Center after church and say, I wanna be a part of that. I wanna do that. I wanna be a part of that. Uh, and then we, we, we do a class uh, every three months called Becoming Grace. And it just says, I wanna be a part. I wanna be a part of the family. What does it look like for me to be a part of the family? You learn what our mission is. You learn what it looks like to be a partner. We don't talk about membership here. We talk about partnership here because we believe we're partnering in the restoration of all things that are broken in our community. And, and we talk about this is what, what our end of that partnership looks like and this is what your end of that partnership looks like. Next is to join a serve team. Uh, our serve teams are decimated, everybody. We don't have enough greeters, we don't have enough musicians, we don't have enough childcare workers every week. We're calling and begging every week. That's, that's our model right now is call and beg. Uh, we need people in every area. And so if, if you're here and you wanna make this your church family and wanna be a part, then help us out. Uh, I don't believe that serving on Sundays is usually somebody's kingdom dream or the thing that they're called to live their life for, but I do believe it's the way that we live out our, our faith. It's like dinner at grandma's house. Right? Everybody's got a 
do something and pitch in so that we can make dinner work, right? If grandma did the meal and the dishes and all the hospitality and all those things, we would be being mean to grandma, right? So don't be mean to grandma, serve, right? Uh, step up and there's a way that we can serve and jump in. If you've got kids every week that are downstairs and you're not serving downstairs, I need to ask you to serve downstairs because somebody else has been watching your kids for the last five years, right? If... If, if you take coffee every week, I need to ask you to serve coffee because we need people to do that. If you've been blessed by the worship team and you can sing and you can play an instrument and you can do those kinds of things, we need you. If you know how to run sound, we will do whatever we can to get you here. We will hug you. We will give you gift cards, right? If you have any technical skills whatsoever, like we... We need you, right? Uh, we, need, we need people to jump up and say, I'm willing to serve. And then last is to join a launch group. And, and here's the thing with launch groups. We focus so much on launching launch groups that I think people have missed the beauty of just joining a launch group. So there are a bunch of people in our community who are launching their kingdom dream and they're inviting other people to join them in it who will serve with them. And so I've had a lot of people come to me and say, well, I'm not a dreamer. I'm not a starter. I don't have an idea. I don't have a vision. I don't have a plan, but I wanna connect with people. Join a launch group and be a part of somebody else's vision. There's some amazing launch groups that are happening right now. We've got three that are operating right now and, and we need people to help them out with their dreams. There's amazing, incredible, godly leaders leading those groups who want to gather community around them. They just need people who will step up and say, I wanna join. So if you wanna join a launch group, go straight out to the Welcome Center after church and say, I wanna join a launch group and you could be a part uh, of, of a launch group and we can get you signed up. We've got tons of Bible studies and those kinds of things that are coming in the fall. We've got classes, we've got men's groups. There's a men's canoeing trip or something like that that's happening for people that are new. If you've been here forever, you're not allowed to go, right? It's only for people that are new. You guys are out, right? It's only for people that are new, right? Blake, you can't go, right? That's, it's only for people there. But if, if you wanna connect, we've got lots of ways in, in which you connect. And, and, and here's the last thing. I, I don't think sacrifice comes without breakthrough, guys. I, 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 I said that backwards. I, I don't think breakthrough comes without sacrifice. And I, guys, I look out and I see the potential that our church community has and, and I'm, I'm a future guy. I like to look to the future, and I, I, I'm always thinking of what's next and what could be and vision, all of those kinds of things. Man, I, I see the potential of who we could be and what God could do through us. But here's the reality. As your pastor, I need some of you to pick up the buckets. Like, we need some people who will say, do whatever Jesus tells you. And, and so... Here, here's, here's what I want you to ask as we wrap up. We're gonna move into a time of communion and the band's gonna come up. And, and, and as they do, I just want you to ask the question, what does picking up the bucket look like for me? What does sacrificing so that the church can get the breakthrough, so that others can get the breakthrough? And, and here's the reality for us. Like, sometimes the kingdom is slower than we imagined it would be. Like there have been seasons of my life and my ministry as a pastor where I've looked back and said, you know what, I think that was just for that one person. <laughs> like I think I pastored in that place for a year and it was for that one person to receive breakthrough and praise God that it happened. And then there's other times when it's just breakthroughs happening everywhere. And God's gonna do what God's gonna do and I don't know how that's gonna work, but, but we, wanna, we wanna stretch, we wanna ask to carry the, bu the, the buckets um, here's the reality. The last year, we've been on a very, very tight budget. We knew that COVID was coming. We knew that the attendance was going down. We knew that uh, giving was going to decline. And so over the last year, we have had the thinnest budget we've ever had in the history of our church as far as ministry budget. There's been very little ministry dollars for us to do the work that we've been called to do. In February, we were doing great. We were $60,000 above budget. It was amazing. We were looking at it like, this is so incredible. Everybody else around us is struggling. Everybody else's budget has collapsed, and we're doing amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Um, right now, we're right on budget. So we've lost our $60,000 of deficit and, or of, of, of plus, and we've fallen into the minus. And so our giving has dramatically dropped off since February. So from February to July, we've lost $60,000 plus. 
uh, and we're looking at a new budget for the next year. And so we're planning on all these dreams. We've got all these dreams, all these plans, all these hopes, all these things that we want to do in the future, but we're looking at it saying we have zero dollars to do any of this. We have zero dollars to hire people. We have zero dollars to do ministry. We have zero dollars to do any of these kinds of things. And so we're creating a stretch budget for next year. And in faith, we're saying, Jesus, we believe that you're going to bring the miracle. But in order for that to happen, it's going to take some people picking up the bucket. And it's going to take some sacrifice. And it's going to take some people stepping up and saying, I'm willing to sacrifice so that the next generation can get all the things that they need so that we can experience the grace of Jesus, all of those things. So we need more tithing. Uh, we need more help, I just talked about. We need more people to serve. And, and, and lastly, I just want to say this, like we, we need more unity. I, guys, I don't, I don't want to go through another year of ministry like we just went through. Are you with me? Like I, I don't want to go through another year where it feels like the people that I'm pastoring are fighting me. Like I, I don't do this job because I get paid big bucks. I do this job because I feel called to this place, to this community, to this purpose, and to these people. And so does every one of our staff. Like We want to pour ourselves out for you, and we love you, and we want you to flourish, and we want you to grow, and we want breakthrough. We, we don't want to feel like there's this adversarial thing because we're trying to make changes or because we're requiring mass or because we're teaching the Bible. We want to work together, and, and, and I, I believe firmly that the only way that happens is through prayer. The only way that unity happens in the church again is through the power of Jesus Christ working in us and teaching us to lay down our lives for the sake of others. And so I know I've gone too long, but would you pray these things for us in the future? Would you pray for the money that we need to do all everything? So pray for God to be a provider. Would you pray for a diverse community that looks like our actual community around us? Would you pray for spiritual breakthrough? And would you pray for engaged leaders in unity? And so, Heavenly Father, we pray for all of those things. We just come to you right now, just as Mary did at the feast, and say, will you do something? Will you bring the miracle again? And our commitment to you is that we'll do what you ask us to do. We'll carry the buckets. We'll sacrifice. We'll do what it takes to lay down our lives for the next generation. We'll lay down our lives for our community around us. We'll lay down our lives for the people who need you and need to know that you are Lord and that we will be the ones who open the doors for the community around us. But we ask for you to move and work. So I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, Jesus, that you would bring unity for your church again. I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would provide in ways that we can't even imagine or understand. I pray that you would bring all the financial resources we need and more. I pray for abundance and not scarcity. I pray that you would turn this community into a diverse community that looks like the community that we live in. And I pray that there would no longer be segregation of blacks and whites and Hispanics Asians on Sunday mornings, but there would be this one beautiful community that looks like your kingdom and looks like heaven. And I pray that that would happen here, Jesus. And I pray for spiritual breakthrough. For every person in this room who needs it, Lord, I pray that you would bring the breakthrough that they need in their lives right now. I pray that in the same way you bless us as a community, that you bless us individually as families. pray as we sang earlier today that we would see the victory. So we thank you, Jesus. We love you. We do all these things in your name. Amen. We're going to move into a time of communion. There's communion stations set up all over the room. You can grab the, the juice and the bread. And as we worship together here, I want you to just take communion. Be thinking about what's the bucket that I need to pick up? What's the sacrifice that I'm called to? What's the next step for me? in order to lay myself down for the community.